You're listening to The Bridge Podcast, Real Life Church's Young Adult Ministry. It's a really great uh, 10-week small group experience. So stop by guest services and sign up for that. 50 bucks um, for the 10 weeks, and it includes uh, a couple of experiences with it. Uh, houseboat trip. We're going on a houseboat trip in August, 10 to 13. Uh, we are, I believe, a, we have a, a full boat right now. We have another boat available, um, and then we'll put start putting people on a wait list. So you want to sign up ASAP, um, probably by June, and then I'm going to uh, probably have to make some judgment calls on whether we can get a, a third boat at that point or not. So it's 275 bucks, I think, is what the cost is. $100 deposit, and then you pay the rest uh, by this summer, by July or so. Um, but you want to go to rlc.is slash houseboat. Uh, it's a really great, it's a great trip. And we're going to do some uh, wakeboarding and banana tubing and swimming and hanging out, a lot of games. It's really fun. Uh, coffee community. So we do every Tuesday, we do something called coffee community at COC. Uh, and we also are doing it at CalArts. So we actually need some help because we're now doing it every week for a few more weeks until CalArts gets out. Uh, and then we're going to be all throughout May at COC. So if you want to help out, we just literally hand out free coffee and free bagels. If you're available on Tuesday morning for about an hour or two, um, then stop by guest service and just say, hey, I want to help with Coffee Community. We'll get your information down. We'll text you and see if you can come help out. Um, it's really fun. Also, kind of a last call, if you want to apply for the internship, uh, we still have uh, positions that we are uh, uh, interviewing for now. Um, you can go to rlc.is slash intern or reallifechurch.org slash intern um, and find out more information or talk to me afterwards if you're so curious about what that looks like. Um, and you can register or uh, apply if you want to be an intern. Cool? All right. So uh, we are in the series called Unwritten, and uh, what we've been doing is giving you guys the vote. So we're going to uh, finish off for the next couple of weeks doing the same thing. Um, and you get to vote texting 321-234-3123. Uh, and this is next week's topic, which is fear of dot, 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 fear of rejection, fear of failure, intimacy, losing control, or commitment. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, you want to text A, B, C, or D to that number, and we'll keep that live uh, through tomorrow. So you can check social media afterwards, but you can start voting now for that, uh, which one you want to hear next week that you kind of most wrestle with, or people you know, you have friends that wrestle with that, a fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of intimacy, losing control, commitment. We all have fears, probably more than one of those we align with and say, uh, maybe all five, uh, but just say which one is most uh, that you would like to hear about next week, uh, and we'll talk about that. Also, uh, for tonight's topic, we're going to talk about uh, taking things out of context, taking verses out of context. Uh, the title is Twisted, and you guys voted for a uh, devotional to your phone, you can text the word twisted to that same number. Text the word twisted to 234, uh, uh, excuse me, 321-234-3123, and you'll get a five-day devotional. It shows up one day a week uh, for you that is basically about some scripture that when we often take them out of context, and how can we actually put them back into context? Cool? So if you want a devotional, text the word twisted. Otherwise, just vote for what you want to hear next week, and we're going to wrap up and uh, continue in the series called Unwritten. That song is so rooted in your head right now from the last 10 weeks or so we've been doing this series. So, uh, so tonight we're talking about taking things out of context, and the, one, the verses that you guys uh, voted for this week is the, is the verse in uh, Matthew 7, which is to not judge, do not judge. But I want to uh, talk a little bit about things that we take out of context. Um, and so if I were to say to you, the, uh, the bears devour the tigers— Right? If I just say that, you'd be like, okay, what, what's the context? Is that, are we talking about, are we talking some sort of sports uh, 
thing going on? Is that is the bears beat the tigers? What's going on? Is that like uh, something happened in, in Africa? That's something crazy. And there's bears. I don't know. Is there bears in Africa? Probably not. But but something happened, or a zoo broke out, and this happened. I don't know. You'd be like, what's the context of what is of of what that means? Unless you understand what's happening with a story, if you just see the title of something, you say, what is that about, right? Now, obviously, journalists know this, that we wanna cat, they wanna catch you with something, and they'll give you the, the catchy title that says something, and it makes you wanna read that, or BuzzFeed does this, right? Read you something that's like, whatever, and you go, what's the context of that? I wanna know, it caught you, it drew you in, because I wanna know what this is fully about, right? So, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at WikiHow. Have you ever, like, how to, whatever, change a tire or how to, whatever, and you either use YouTube or if you want just really bad pictures, uh, drawings on WikiHow. Anybody use WikiHow? You just know about it. You probably don't actually use it. Like, okay, so I, look, I found these pictures that are, unless you know what the how is, they're, they're really confusing. It's out of context, not really sure. Take a look at this first one. So when you see that, no one can probably, it might be just like, just don't drink coffee out of, the, like first put it in a, in a mug before you drink out of it, might be the context we think. No, it's actually how to be drug free. How to be drug free is apparently, don't, don't do that if you wanna be drug free. Don't drink coffee directly from the pot. Don't do the pot either, I think is what also that means. Uh, the second one is this. Again, I'm not, <laughs> not quite sure. You might just be like, how to act like a bird, I guess, might be the thing. But it's, if you can see down the bottom, how to laugh naturally on cue. I guess you're supposed to think of wild geese honking. I don't know. That's natural on cue. She's practicing it. It also looks like she's just outside of a mental ward. And it just looks like that. I don't know why. Uh, the next one is uh, just make your own conclusions if you don't know the context. So if you, if you read at the bottom, yeah, he's, he's got some Roman hands there is all I know. So this is how to hold in your poop in embarrassing situations. I still don't fully understand, but I'm, I'm drawn in. I want to know. I want to know the how. I guess don't think about the poop. Think about someone grabbing your butt, I guess. I'm not. You naturally, if someone's touching your butt, you don't want to poop. You naturally don't want to do that. Okay, next one. So, again, someone, what you might think like someone's hacking into your, like, identity theft, maybe something, right? Right? No, out of context. It's actually how to get bigger breasts without surgery. I have no idea. I have no idea, but I just, it doesn't make any sense. So even in context, I have no idea what that, what's happening there. Why he's, I don't get it. But I'm curious now. I don't, I don't want to get bigger breasts, but I want to know what's happening in that picture. And in the last one, out of context, is this one. <laughs> this is an actually, how to reduce stress in cats. So don't do that. If you want to reduce stress in cats, don't pick them up and holler at them, I guess, is that. So Bible verses are also often taken out of, uh, out of context. Uh, things like ask for anything, right? We, we, we know Jesus says, ask for anything, it'll be given to you. What does that mean? That was one of the options you guys could have voted for. Uh, that, uh, you know, in, in Jeremiah, it talks about that God has a plan for you, plans to prosper you. Well, we often take that also out of context, and, and uh, same thing with money is the root of all kinds of evil. We take that out of context. Um, God will never give you more than you can handle uh, is, is actually not in the Bible, but people will take a, a certain part of the, of, of the Bible, and, and when it really talks about sort of temptation, God won't give you more temptation than you can bear, and they take that and say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. And so we do this, this thing all throughout the Bible. And in fact, as much as I want to encourage you to read your Bible, I also want you to know that Bible reading is dangerous. Not just because it will actually transform your life if you take it seriously and do it regularly and actually apply it to your life. It will transform your life, which is dangerous. But also because if you don't actually understand what you're reading and you don't understand the context to what you're reading and whether certain things are meant to be literal or more allegorical, metaphorical, 
you know, what does that look like? Like if you take everything literal, when Jesus says, you know, better for you to gouge out your eye than to look lustfully on somebody is like, dang, okay, I guess I need to cut my eyeball out to follow Jesus. Might be a little too literal for you to take some of those things. So again, Bible reading can be dangerous if we don't understand the context to what we're talking about. But tonight's verse of do not judge or you will be judged too is like the most quoted verse ever. I mean, I mean, even people who don't believe in the Bible believe in this verse, right? People, you know, like, oh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know, in the Bible it says don't judge me, right? And get all attitude-y about it because everybody can believe in this verse, even if we don't actually believe in the God who actually calls us within this verse. Um, we look at it because people, people might say, you know, when they're saying don't judge me, uh, it's because they're, they're often living hypocritically or they're just saying, look, I think you're living hypocritically, so don't judge me. It's a defensive posture often. Um, it's something where we just basically are saying, don't tell me, you have no right to tell me how to live. You're not my boss. You're not my uh, husband, spouse, what, girlfriend. What, you're not, you don't, I don't belong to you, so you don't get to tell me what to do. Or ultimately saying, you're a sinner too, so why do you get to call me out on my stuff when you need to take care of your own stuff, Right? Or just simply saying, it doesn't really matter, don't judge me, it doesn't matter, because I just want to be happy. And doesn't God, isn't God concerned about our happiness after all? And doesn't want us, I mean, if he created us, doesn't he want us to be happy? I mean, if it's a good God, he doesn't want us to be miserable, right? So let me do what I want to do, so therefore, don't judge me, right? But on the flip side, uh, it's also the main reason why people don't like Christians, right? Is because we're kind of judgmental. At least that's the, the narrative. At least that's the kind of the feeling, the posture. Um, we, if you were, again, if you were to ask, uh, you, you know, if you were to go on campus at COC or CalArts or CSUN or just go around to your workplace and ask, like, hey, just when you think about Christians, do you think really full of compassion or do you think more judgmental? Like, which one, if you just give them two options? I'm, I'm curious, but m I tend to believe that they might fall a little bit more on the judgmental side in the compassionate side. Maybe things are changing a little bit more. Maybe you are a reason for that in your school or your workplace, uh, that people actually might view it more on the compassionate side, which kudos to you, well done. Um, but ultimately, it's a reason why people say, I don't really want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church with you. I don't want to believe what you believe because I feel like I too will become judgmental, and I don't know if that's really the way I want to live. It's sort of policing people on what's right or wrong being the morality police, right? I mean, Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to become the morality police. We don't celebrate a resurrected Lord for us to say, now let's go and tell everyone what they're doing wrong, right? That's not what Jesus says at the end of, uh, before he ascends um, to be with the Father. But, you know, because it feels really bad to be judged. I don't, hey, raise your hand if you've been judged before. And the rest of you guys are lying if, you don't, if you've never been judged. It sucks, right? I mean, I don't know how you feel. I've never been judged. I have no idea what that feels like. I'm just kidding. I feel like uh, all the more as a, uh, as a pastor, uh, you know, I get judged on, on both sides. One might be, oh, you're a pastor, so, uh, you know, then show me that you don't do anything wrong. You're, you're probably just as messed up as, as, you know, you hear about all these negative things, about all these other pastors doing really, and, and so you get judged negatively on that side. Or sometimes I get judged a little bit too positively of like, oh, you, you must be the best dad and husband, and you don't do anything wrong, and whatever. And it's, again, neither are true, neither are accurate, that people are making judgments based on a title, based on where I work, based on uh, just who I am as a Christian. And so you also have been probably a victim of that, and you might have been uh, judged for things like w what you were like in high school. You might still carry on that sort of label or slogan of whatever it was, what you were like in high school, and you're like, that's not me anymore, but you might still be judged for that. You might be judged for maybe what you wear. You might be judged for things uh, like who you date or who you hang out with. You might be judged for who your ex is. They might have a judgment of you or what school you currently go to or the school that you want to go to or that school that you graduated from. Or you might be judged for the team that you root for, uh, which if you root for the Giants or Angels, then you deserve to be judged, is what I would say as a Dodger fan. Um, so why do we do it if we hate being judged? We hate it. We don't like it. We get frustrated. You know, we immediately want to say, hey, hey, don't judge me. Right? But why do we do it? If we hate it 
as much, but we know that we actually do it. And what does this mean? Does, it, does this really mean for us to actually not judge? And the flip side is if, if, if we were to actually walk around and go, well, who am I to judge? You know, I'm just as screwed up as everybody else. I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't make any judgment calls. Is that, really, is that really the right way to live? Should we never make any judgments on things? Should we never call out any wrongdoing or anything that is negative? Is that really what that means? Because if that's the case, then does a teacher have the right to judge students on their performance and give them a grade? Does a jury have the right to judge criminality? Right? Does a police officer have the right to judge if you broke the law or not? Right? We might say, well, those are silly, Dave. Those are obvious answers to these things. Um, but then where's the line, right? Where's the line to then say, okay, where does Jesus actually say this? Okay, don't judge unless you want it. You're going to be judged by that same measure. So what does that look like for us? Is it just simply the, like whatever is illegal and what's not? Is that just sort of the line? Because if that's the case, um, there's a lot of things that might be, uh, you know, legal, but maybe we wouldn't say is morally correct or things that we would say, uh, that's probably not. Like if you were to see somebody... Uh, saw a husband and a wife in the mall, and you just see the husband, like, just belittling and screaming and yelling at the wife and saying, you stupid bee, and did it and yelling all that stuff. That's not illegal, but we might go, that's definitely not okay. And we want to say, do we want to say something about it? Do we go, like, mm, not my place to judge. I don't know them. I'm a sinner, too. I've yelled before. I don't know. I mean, what, this is where it gets a little bit tricky, right? is where does the injustice lie and where does it not? Or what if we, uh, what if a guy, and we get into maybe some sexual stuff and a guy who looks at pornography, do we say like, oh, you shouldn't look at pornography? Or do we say like, oh, I mean, I mean, culture really says like, hey, I mean, it, it, it's just a sexual expression. And, you know, I mean, who are you to judge that? I mean, if that's what they want to do on their, I mean, who are they bothering, right? Okay, but now what if that guy who's looking at pornography is married? Where we now say, well, that's considered adultery? Or we say, like, what does it matter if that couple wants to do that? Does it, should, where's the line? Is that not? What if that married man is a Christian? Do we then even go, okay, now we can judge? Now we can say, okay, now it's not okay because now you are a part of the family of God. You're in the kingdom. We don't do that kind of stuff. Are we policing that behavior? What if that Christian married man is a pastor? Do we then say, okay, now we've drawn the line. Now it's not okay for that guy to do it but it's okay over here for this person to do it. Where do we draw the line of judgment? Because culture ultimately says that people should get to live their lives. What do we have to do with everyone else's lives? Just mind your own business. What about injustices, though? Is that where we sort of draw the line? Like, what's an injustice? But again, where do we know? Is it just have to, we all have to agree on what an injustice is? We have to say this is an injustice, this is not fair. When we look at, obviously, things like racial profiling, right? That's an injustice. But do we, do we say, uh, do we draw a line there? Do we not? Do we look at things like human trafficking? That's an injustice that we'd all say, that's not okay, these kind of things. So we see all these things, and we might say, like, well, okay, we could all, do we just get to take a vote? Or do we just kind of go with, the, with where everyone's taking a stand, I can take a stand too, now we can judge? What if we don't know the circumstances around those situations? We look at people who get divorced. Do we say like, oh, what the Bible says, don't get divorced. Do we judge? Do we not? Do we know the situations around that? Again, these are tricky, tricky questions. So let's look at it. So uh, when, when we're looking at Scripture in the Bible, okay, and this is just three things I think will help you um, when, we're, when we're reading the Bible if to say, okay, what does this mean and, and how do I apply it? right? What, what does this mean and what does this mean for me is really how you can ask those two, those two questions. You can say, what does this mean and what does this mean for me? Too often, if we just say, what does it mean for me? What does this mean right now? What does this mean in our culture, right? If we just open up the Bible and say, okay, God, Holy Spirit, just open up to a page and let it blow or, or let, me, let me just open up, let me, let me open up my YouVersion Bible app and the, whatever that scripture pops up is exactly what the Holy Spirit is supposed to tell me, right? Or it's just the verse of the day. I, like, I don't know. But if, if, we don't, if, if we only look at things like, what does it mean for me, then we're not actually looking at the Bible correctly. Now, we do need to ask that, what does it mean to me? But we need to ask, what does this mean? And so the three things that you want to do when you are reading the Scripture is you want to look at context. Number one, you want to look at 
context, okay? And this means, what do the verses before that verse say and the verses after? Don't just take that one verse and go, see, boom. That's called proof texting. When you want to prove your point by taking that verse and applying it to, to whatever the a argument you're trying to make, right? Now, unfortunately, we as Christians do that a lot. And again, here is an example of one that we do that a lot with, right? So you want to look at the verses before and after. You want to look at the chapters before and after. Because again, the original writing of the Bible was not with chapters and numbers in it that said like this verse, whatever. It's just a normal kind of written letter, book, whatever, like you, the way you would read things now, not even without page numbers, right? It was just sort of like you just keep reading. And so it wasn't really meant for things to be taken out like this the way that we do it now. So you want to look at chapters before, you want to look at chapters after, what's going on here. You want to see what the whole book is about. What's the whole thing about? Who's it, who's it addressed to? Who's writing this? When was it written? You want to look at all those things. Because again, if we just, again, it has very much practical nature to hear in 2017. This verse means a lot to us, this, this idea of do not judge. But we need to look at the bigger picture, and that's looking at the context. What's going on in the culture at the time? Now, we don't get that by just simply opening up to Matthew 7. You don't get all those things. You have to actually dig into it a little bit and discover. Now, then you, well, where do I go? How do I discover that? What do I do? This is called being discipled. This idea of you getting a mentor, somebody that can disciple you. This is you getting into rooted and understanding how you can start to understand Scripture and what the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world, not just in your life, right? The second thing we want to do is we want to look at Scripture with Scripture, we want to look at scripture with scripture. What is this verse? How does that align with other scriptures that talk about judgment? What other, what other, where else in the Bible does God talk about judgment? Because if this is the only time it talks about that, then we might have to take that into consideration, right? But we want to look at other parts of what that looks like. Now, there's some things we may say, like, we just know that that's wrong. In fact, there's only one verse in all of the Bible that talks about bestiality, Okay, only one verse. I don't think we need, we didn't even need a verse to tell us that's not okay, right? But there's only one verse. We don't be like, well, where else does it say it? I don't know, does it really, is it, does God really mean that? Like I can't marry a sheep? Is it really not okay? Right? I don't think we need a lot of verses in the context to tell us like that's not okay. But when we look at judgment, we look at these kinds of things and a lot of other sexual things, we need to look at context. And to understand how does other scripture align with what this is, with what's going on. And then the third part is application. And again, that's the part, what does this mean for me? Is how are you living it out? So you can't just say, well, this is what the Bible says. If you ain't living it out, if you ain't doing anything about, if you ain't doing the right thing and living it out the way that it's meant to be lived out, then do you really get to kind of point that out at other people? Do you get to talk about those things? I don't know. It just seems like there needs to be some aspect of application. Are you living it out based on the context and scripture to scripture of the whole Bible of what this means? So let's look at that. So the verse that we're talking about is Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you, wanna, if you have a Bible or if you want to look it up on your phone, you can do that as well. It says, do not judge. This is Jesus. He's saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with, this, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we're seeing this counter, this balance thing. Jesus is saying, look, don't judge, or you're going to be judged. Same measure you judge, you're going to be judged with that same measure. It's not, you can't, Jesus is saying it's not a double standard. You can't say, like, you get to do this, but live over here. Right? You don't get to live a double standard is what Jesus is ultimately calling out. And if we look at the context, like I just said, we look at context. Well, in chapter 6, Jesus is addressing hypocrisy. He's talking to the religious leaders, right? He's talking, he's talking about them, and he's saying, look, the theme is the hypocrisy of these religious guys. These religious guys who are saying, do this, but they're living differently. No, you guys do that. We don't need to do that, this double standard mindset, right? That's the, the verse, the chapter before that. And then later on in chapter 7, Jesus actually addresses, uh, has a warning of false prophets. Hey, be careful out there. There's going to be some false prophets that were going to come and are going to say some stuff that you need to know that's false. So if he's saying don't judge, but then yet use discernment, be aware of the false prophets, that gives us the context of saying, okay, it's not that we should never make any judgments ever. He's saying use discernment. 
use discernment. But what this is ultimately talking about, what Jesus is talking about is don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge hypocritically. Don't use a double standard. Don't use a different standard for you that you than you would use for others. Right? And if we're honest, we do that a lot. We sort of excuse our, ourselves, but we accuse others. Excuse our behavior, but we accuse others for their behavior. And that's a kind of natural thing, because we can easily justify or explain things away and say, well, but you don't understand. If you understood, you would understand. You would, get, you would be, agree with me, and you'd be okay with the way I'm living my life. Right? We excuse our own behavior, but we accuse others. But Jesus is saying, he's kind of calling it out and saying, look, you can't do that anymore. You can't just excuse yourself. If you're going to excuse yourself, excuse others. Same standard. If you're going to accuse others, accuse yourself. Don't live double standardly. And then he goes on to say in verses 3 and 5, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Just take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, right? You're saying a plank, okay, a big piece of wood in your eye, and I got metaphorically saying you got you you have bigger stuff in your own life, and yet you want to accuse others of the things in their life. So we see the context of what Jesus is talking about, and so the next thing we want to do is we want to look at scripture with scripture. So we see the context verses before that, we see the, the chapters before the chapters after it. Right? We know he's talking about hypocritical, uh, being hypocrites. Okay, so we get that. Now we want to see what else does the Bible talk about when it comes to judgment? When can we judge? When is that? What's the line? What, when should we not judge? What does that look like? And so I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures of that align with scripture with scripture here. So the first one is, and John 7, 24, the idea is to never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. Don't just judge by the way things look or appear. John 7, 24. And again, this is Jesus talking. And he says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly or rightly or justly. Right? Judge correctly. Judge justly. Don't just judge by what it looks like. In other words, take a deeper look. Dive in. Understand the bigger story. Understand the picture. In other words, assume the best. If you went to uh, uh, one of our services this morning at Real Life, uh, then you heard Rusty talk about this. We're talking about there's a gap between uh, the message sent and the message received. And, and kind of when we want information to be, uh, what the information delivered to us, and we have to sort of assume the best in that instead of assuming negatively. Because we naturally want to just be like, oh, what are you saying about me? What are you saying to me? And we get defensive, Right? So similarly, never judge superficially. And the biggest place we see this is social media, right? Social media is everywhere. You probably have multiple platforms um, that you use. And how easy it is that we judge people based on, uh, we judge the person based on what they're wearing or not wearing, right? Or we judge people, uh, we might judge them as more holy than we might normally consider them because a lot of their uh, posts on Instagram are with a, uh, a cup of coffee um, and from, from a fair trade uh, organic uh, coffee shop. And, and the, the scripture opened up to ESV version, of course, because they want to use the more literal version. So they're much more holy than I am, right? And we make judgments based on that. Or we might say, well, you're posting this, like, I know what you, look at your three posts ago before that, you were posting about uh, Coachella. You were posting because you were there. Or, and then we start just because of locations. Or, oh, you go to uh, EDC? Oh, okay. I know what happens at EDC. Okay. <laughs> oh, I know what you are wearing. Right? And we make these judgments based on mere appearance. We're making judgments on the person, on who they are, and whether they're in or out whether they actually love Jesus or they don't, whether they're building the kingdom or hurting the kingdom based on mere appearances. So we can't judge superficially. Now, not saying that social media is, like, don't ever judge social media. Again, if there's somebody that's like, man, I love Jesus, and it's their, cap it's their like, you know, profile caption, whatever, and has a verse, but, like, just a bunch of, like, 
crazy pictures that are like, mm, I don't know if that really aligns. It doesn't seem like that's probably really what's going on here. But we don't want to judge superficially. The second thing is, never judge hypocritically. So again, we have to take a look at our own life. And so in Romans uh, chapter 2, Paul says this, You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And he goes on to say, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness in, is intended to turn you from your sin? So Paul's addressing it, saying, look, and he was talking about basically that, again, the, the religious is more really talking about the, 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 the Jewish people were sort of judging the Gentiles, the people that weren't following really in, so, in a sort of ceremonial law or doing anything that they thought, okay, this is how you're supposed to live rightly. And so they were saying like, oh, they're heathens, they're crazy, they're bad, they're all these things. And so Paul's saying, look, you, you, you can't judge other people when you have some of your own junk in your own life. Don't judge hypocritically. And then he goes further and just says, look, don't you see how kind and patient and good and tolerant that God is with you? Don't you think if he's extending that to us that we should extend that same compassion and grace to others? And maybe that, because that's what turned us, we turned from our life of sin and chaos and brokenness towards Jesus. Why? Not because we were afraid, not because of uh, uh, fear, but because of God's goodness. Because if you made a, a, a decision based on judgment or based on fear, I just don't want to go to hell, you're probably not really living out this following Jesus thing anyways, because you're just living out of fear. You're just living out of fear rather than actually filling up and following compassion and grace and love. That, that was, those, we move towards those things, right? We move towards those things because they draw us in, compassion and grace and love and mercy. We don't deserve that, and it draws us in. The last person who gave you grace and mercy and forgave you, did you go, sweet, thanks, jerk. Never going to be in this relationship again. Thanks for forgiving me. No, you probably drew a little further in and said, wow, I don't deserve to be forgiven by you. But I want to actually deepen this relationship now. That that conflict, that whatever that issue was, that that act of forgiveness probably made that relationship stronger. Now, again, I'm casting a little bit of a wide net here, and there may be some exceptions to that rule. But I think that's a general rule of thumb, is that that mercy and grace is what draws us in and makes us more intimate. And that's what Paul's saying. Look, God gave you this same idea of compassion and grace and tolerance and love. Don't you think we should do that same to others? Don't be hypocritical about it. If God forgave you, why can't you also forgive others? If God gives you mercy, why can't you give mercy to others? And I think, you know, I, I think this is uh, interesting. If you look at... Um, uh, I always say when you, whenever there's a, a person who's really harping on one specific thing, one specific sin, so to speak, or um, one big thing that's kind of like their main driving thing, um, I kind of want to throw up a red flag on that because I kind of I want to know, like, why, why are you so stuck on that one? Like, what is it about that thing, whatever it is that you're, like, really, this is, like, you have such, like, hatred for? What's going on? Because often we sort of project our own weaknesses onto others. And honestly, man, I, you see it a lot where you see that, that pastor who's railing against uh, homosexuality and it turns out they're caught uh, in a hotel room with male prostitutes and drugs. And I'm not making that story up. That happens. That's like a real thing, right? Or the one who's uh, railing against, you know, uh, uh, divorce or whatever, and they're, and they're actually caught up in a, in a, 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 a big pornography thing, or uh, maybe even worse, actually, uh, like, child pornography. And they're caught up over here in this thing, and they're really railing about it is because they're actually trying to maybe cover up some of their own stuff, and they're actually hiding it. And so anytime that somebody's, like, just really harping on some of that stuff, it makes me just kind of go, like, mm, what's going on? Because our harshest judgments often reveal our deepest weaknesses. Our harshest judgments 
often reveal our deepest weaknesses. And the third thing is that we don't want to hold non-Christians to Christian standards. We don't want to hold non-Christians to Christian standards. And unfortunately, we do this a lot. I remember uh, uh, in college, so I had a, a buddy visiting mine. I went to a Christian college, and, uh, and uh, it was at Azusa Pacific. And across the street, Azusa Pacific, was uh, these apartments that were partly owned by APU and partly not. So there were some uh, regu- regular people that lived there and then some students. And now it's fully owned by APU, so it's all APU people. But at the time, uh, it was also a place that people would just like, you could just hop the fence and then there would be, and it was a pretty big hot tub, there'd be like 30 people in the hot tub at the same time and people that were just lived there and then mostly college students, but they weren't all APU students. Some were because we were right next to uh, a, a community college called Citrus. So uh, there were some people that lived there and they went to Citrus and they didn't attend APU. And uh, it was me and a, a, a roommate of mine, and then this other guy who was just visiting. Um, and he was uh, pretty judgmental, this guy. He didn't go to APU. He just was a pretty judgmental dude. And uh, we're sitting in the hot tub, and there was these two girls, and, and they're smoking a cigarette. And it was like, whatever. I mean, it was just kind of annoying and gross, and we were just, like, trying to avoid it. Um, and so he was like, uh, why do you guys smoke? Like, he just tried to strike up the conversation. <laughs> Probably not the best way to strike it. <laughs> why do you guys smoke? Right? And they were like, what? Excuse me? And he's like, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one of those Christians. Right? And uh, we didn't know if they went to APU or not until finally we were starting. They got, they're getting upset. They're pissed. They're like, who are, you? who are you? What are you talking Don't you judge me. You don't judge me. You are, you're right. Good this whole thing. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And it was embarrassing. And then afterwards we leave and like me and my roommate are like railing on this guy. We're like, what are you doing, dude? And he's like, well, they can't do that. It's like their body is a temple and they need to know that. And I was like, dude, you have no relationship with them. Like not only that, but they're not even Christians. Like they don't, <laughs> like they don't care. They were, and it, you just turn them off. You turn them off. And I get where your heart was and your motivation is to say like, look, there's better for you, but there's a better approach also in the way that you wanted to do that. And in 1 Corinthians 5, it says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So we do have a responsibility to judge those inside, it says here. There's a responsibility, and that judgment is not to, like, shake our finger and say, naughty, naughty, you don't get to do that. We don't, that's not what it's about, right? But the bigger picture here is to say, we definitely don't get to do that to those outside who don't even follow and believe the same thing we do. And ultimately, and I love that this is at Real Life Church and here at the bridge as well, is we say you don't need to believe how we believe in order to belong. You can belong first. Belong first. We want to welcome you. You belong here. And ultimately, if in the journey, the Holy Spirit breaks you free and says, look, I want you to believe and trust that I am the God you've always desired to follow. And then they start to live differently because the Holy Spirit is transforming their lives, right? We don't say, ah, you can come in this room if you believe the way we believe. No, we say you belong here. I had an, uh, a, a, an email um, that got forwarded to me of uh, somebody who's transgender. And they asked me and they said, uh, uh, they actually got sent just to the, the real life kind of stock thing. And then the communication guy said, hey, why don't you answer this? Because it's a young adult. And I was like, sweet. Uh, so uh, they sent an email and just said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm transgender, and what is Real Life Church, what's the stance on the LGBTQ issue? And uh, so I replied back, and I just said, look, um, if you don't read any further than the first line of this email, then our stance is that you belong here, that you're welcome here, and that you belong here. So if you don't read the rest of my email, <laughs> that's the only thing you read, know that you're welcome here, and that you belong here. And then I went in to say that I think often we're asking the wrong question. When we're asking for a stance, a stance is a guarded posture, right? We're asking for a guarded posture. And I don't know if this person believes in Jesus or not, just asking what the church believes. So I'm not going to enter into this from a black and white. I said, ultimately, I want to meet up. I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. I want to chat. And thankfully, they did. And they said, let's meet up. And we got to have a great conversation and talk about it. And ultimately, I said, look, we're asking the wrong question is that, hey, ultimately, our goal is to help you find and follow Jesus. We don't discriminate on who gets to find and follow Jesus. You belong here. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Come back. Be a part of this community. And I hope if and when they come and be a part of this community here, 
that you will welcome, that you will welcome him and say that you belong here. And ultimately, you hear people and they say, uh, you know, but, but the gospel is offensive, Dave. The gospel is offensive. So you know what? You just, you just got to preach the gospel and let the gospel offend. I say, you know what? I don't think that's true. I think the gospel actually means good news. <laughs> it means good news. It doesn't mean offense, right? When I read Jesus, you know who he offended? He offended the religious. He never offended the broken. He offended the religious. Those that are like me, the ones who know Scripture, know what it means, and yet sometimes live hypocritically. Those who should be offended. I should be offended when I read stuff like that and go, yeah, but you don't really get the full picture, Jesus. Oh, yeah, who am I talking to? You do get the full picture. And so I just would challenge you with love before correcting. Love first, correct later. And ultimately, that correction really is just you introducing and letting the Holy Spirit do His work. Love first before correcting. And that leads to the last one, though, which is always. So we have three nevers and then a fourth always. And the always help restore fallen believers. Always help restore fallen believers. Judgment alone does not restore anything. Just calling out darkness does not restore light. What does that look like? And so in Galatians chapter 6, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in, in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Let me say that again, gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Restore one another gently. Right? This is the idea of grace and truth. That Jesus is the full embodiment of grace and truth. Right? He's the fullness of grace and truth. Now, I can't prove this, but I think there's a reason that grace comes first. That when it talks about that scripture is that it's grace first. Jesus is embodiment of grace and truth. Not just grace. Not just truth, but grace and truth. But I think there's a reason why grace comes first. And what this looks like is that it requires walking with, not just telling what. It requires walking with, not just telling what. You don't just get to call it out. You have to walk with. That's what restoration does. You fall, let me help you up. Let me walk with you. And if that means I have to be your crutch for a while, I will be your crutch. I'm not just casting you off and saying, until you get right, then you come back here. That's not restoration. That's still judgment. That's not restoring a fallen believer. That's pushing him further out. And so the key is actually relationship. Rarely will it be a time, I think. Rarely has there ever been a time. I Honestly, I can't even think of an example. But I don't want to say it never has happened. But rarely has there been a time that I have confronted a stranger. Unless prompted by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has prompted me to go say something to a random person and I just say something, I don't even know what this means, but I think you need to know this and something happens later, then so be it. But that's never, no random person has walked up and been like, said some random thing to me and like just integrity and then walked away and I'm like, what does that mean? How do they know, right? Although you could probably do that and everybody be like, oh my gosh, how do they know? But that's never happened. It happens because somebody who knows me has said, hey, you know what? I've been praying for you, and the word integrity has been sticking out when I pray for you. Just be careful. That happened to me. I remember one time in church, and this girl, turned, this lady turned around and said, integrity is the word that keeps popping up in my head. And I was like, yeah, I probably need to be more integrous because I think that's the Holy Spirit calling you out, calling me out. But she had a relationship with me, actually, to do that. And rarely will there be a time that just randomly will you go up and confront something you have to earn the right to be heard i think you earn the right to be heard and then be able to talk about that and then walk with in the restoration process because all truth turns people away if you are all truth and no grace turns people away maybe true but that doesn't bring them closer to jesus all grace gives license to sin if you're only 
just full grace, like, ah, it doesn't really matter, like, it's fine, like, it's not what I would do, but, you know, Jesus loves you. You're just kind of licensing them, do whatever you want, doesn't really matter, your life, you can just fit Jesus in your life, and it doesn't have to change. That's not true. That's not true. You can't just kind of fit Jesus in there and then, like, just keep living your life normally. Jesus wants to have his way. Holy Spirit wants to have his way. He's going to say, okay, now it's time to clean out some stuff. Let's, let's clean out this closet. Let's clean out the garage now. But that's the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives. And we know that the truth sets us free. Jesus tells us that, that the truth sets us free. But Jesus always leads with grace. And I say this a lot. When it comes to grace and truth, I always err on the side of grace. I always err on the side of grace. Doesn't mean I don't care about truth. I do. I care a lot about truth. But I always err on the side of grace because you know what? When I get face to face with Jesus one day, and if Jesus says, you know what, Dave, you did a pretty good job. I mean, it's not what I would have done. I might have done some things different. But you know what? You gave a little bit too much grace. I don't think that's what Jesus is going to say. But if he does say that, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with confronting and facing a God who says, you know what? You maybe gave a little bit too much grace because I'm okay that I live that way versus face to face with Jesus and says, you know, I appreciate that you really valued and cared about the truth. But man, there's a lot of people that were really turned off by that and were offended by that when the gospel is good news, not offense. So I encourage you and I challenge you. Yes, we do need to make judgment calls. We do need to judge gently, restore gently, correct gently those inside the church, those who say, yes, I, you know, I saw you get baptized. You should be living differently. And that's my job now to come alongside and help you be held accountable. Not to judge you because I saw you get baptized last week and you're not living the way you should. That's not accountability. That's just harsh judgment. That's not restoration. That's not reconciliation. That's not any of that stuff. So that's what that scripture means, is that we should always err on the side of grace. But yes, lead people to restoration gently. And it always is the key is relationship. Earn the right to be heard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for verses like this that tell us how to live how to live rightly, how to live correctly. I thank you that for reminding us that we need to lead with grace, that we, yes, we need to care about truth, and yes, we need to judge correctly and make understandings and discernment for what is right versus wrong. But God, I pray that we would step into the darkness and help restore the light, that we wouldn't just call out darkness and say, that's over there, but we would step in with a courage and with you and you alone to be able to restore those who have fallen. And yes, we do need to ultimately call out darkness. But God, I pray that we would live rightly in order to do that. Pray that we would live with a sense of significant compassion of the darkness. Compassion of those who are stuck in the darkness. That need to be set free because your truth sets us free. And so I pray that we would not be hypocrites. Pray that we would be known as people that lead with compassion and love. And that because of that compassion and love and grace and mercy that people draw closer to you. Thank you that that's the way you did it for us, and I pray that we would do that same thing for others. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you guys to get into small groups of uh, six to eight, just wherever you are sitting, um, and then just send up somebody uh, who will be a facilitator and grab one of these. You'll kick around a couple questions, and then in about 15 minutes, we'll come back up and we'll move on to our next thing.